0: Welcome to church. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get to teach this text today. Uh, You know, this is, this text is the what happened question. That's the, that's the big idea of what's going on here, right? So my wife, you know, she's pretty great, only has a couple of significant flaws, Um, but one of them, one of them is she went to the U of A, you know, so, and some things are harder to look past than others, you know, but I'm a gracious and forgiving husband so she went to U of A and we're still married so but it's kind of it makes I don't really care about the rivalry that much but it makes the rivalry a little more interesting when your wife went to U of A and you went to ASU and that's fun sometimes except for when you're doing basketball because ASU consistently is pure garbage on the basketball I don't know how they're so bad all the time they got like a hundred million students and a hundred billion dollars and they still can't put together a good basketball team but then you know, the games are so late at night, and I'm, I have little kids, so I just find out what happens in the morning most of the time. I'm not going to stay up and lose sleep to watch a game I don't care about, but it's kind of fun. To, but the other, last weekend, ASU played U of A in basketball, and turns out U of A is very good. And U a, ASU is as good as they always are, but the final score was like 105 to 62. <laughs> and I don't usually like do more follow-up, but I'm like, What happened? Because that is bad, and you know that I'm watching highlights and I'm looking at looking up stats and I'm figuring, I'm like, oh, that's what happened. U of a is just way better than them. This was not a fluke. That's just how it is, I guess. So, uh, but the, I, we're teaching through Genesis, and that what happened question would be haunting, right? So, you all grew up, most of you, probably in some part of Western culture, and so this story of Adam and Eve, garden fruit. Rebellion, kicked out of the garden. It's been like baked into our minds, whether you're a Christian or not. Like you're just at least familiar with the story. But for the first hearers of the story, this is the first time they're hearing the story, which is a weird thing to try to imagine. Pretend you never heard about the Genesis 3 story and pretend that your parents and their parents and their parents were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and you finally just got freed by this God who made the plagues ring down on Pharaoh, got you out, now you're in the desert going towards the promised land in the wilderness and God moves Moses to write the story to finally answer the question, what happened? Because if you're one of these Jewish folks, you're going, Okay, God made the world, but then why is childbirth terrible? Okay, God made the world, why is it so hard to get this ground to produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce? Okay, God made family, why is family so hard? Why do siblings not get along? Why, is, why do p- children not listen to parents? Why do aging parents not listen to children? Why do siblings, why why don't the cousins get together, like what's, why is it like this? What happened? And you hear the story of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and it's like, God made this, and it was magnificent, and he made this, and it was tremendous, and he made this, and oh, what a blessing, and he made this, and it was very good, and oh, a woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, marriage, yay, and then you're going like, yeah, but what happened? Because you read Genesis 1 and 2, and you're like, I'm a not skeptical Because my experience in the world is pretty, like there are moments of fleeting transcendence and power, but then a lot of it's just like, whew, another day. Have to do this again. Another one of these conflicts, another one of these issues, another one of. So, what happened? And Genesis 3 is the answer to what happened. Now, on the front end, I want you to know it really does answer the question of what happened. And at the same time, it raises about a thousand questions it does not even attempt to answer. Like, why is the serpent talking? <laughs> why is Eve acting like this is normal? Where exactly is Eden? And where are those flaming angels with swords keeping people out of the garden now? Can we see... so? Why is Adam uh, hanging, like why are they all doing what they're, and so there's all these questions about the curse and about the decay of sin, and and the most important question, what happened, is answered, but you're going to walk away from here with a lot of questions that Moses in Genesis, moved by the Spirit of God, does not even attempt to answer, and I think that's part of the message of this, is sin makes things crazy, and suffering makes things crazy. And to believe you can fully wrap your mind around all of it is crazy. So we're going to have four big points we're going to talk about. And I want to tell you where we're going. So number one, uh, human responsibility and divine sovereignty work together. Number two, sin is sneaky and stupid and it makes you sneaky and stupid. Number three, sin makes good things tremendously difficult And number four, we are terrible at solving our own sin problems, and we know it. So let me pray, and I'm going to do Genesis 3, all right? Lord, have mercy on us. Help us see what you want us to see in this text. Help us see ourselves in Adam and Eve, and have mercy on us as we try to walk in faithfulness. Amen. All right, so Genesis 3 really happens in two parts. Uh, I mean, in, in three parts. So first, there's this, uh, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. And so the serpent comes to Eve and entices her and causes her to question God. Eve kind of has this dialogue. She eats, her husband eats. And then they realize, whoops. And then they cover themselves and they hide. That's part one, right? The the sin, right? That People call this like the fall, but it's more like just the rebellion. It's not like, Tripping. It's willfully choosing to ignore God's word. The second part is God shows up and is like, Hey, what's the deal with what just happened? And they're kind of like pretending that God doesn't know all things. And they're like, Well, I don't, I, it's like kind of the, What do you mean? I don't know. And then there's a consequences of sin, consequences of rebellion are outlined. That's part two. And then part three is really the Lord making providence and covering them for what just happened. So there's really three parts in this story. They sin, God shows up and says, why'd you do that? They blame shift and then part three is God makes providence for their sin and says you still need to leave the garden though. So there's a consequence piece that goes out here. But this, uh, this first point is what we're gonna talk about here so you can go to this next slide is human responsibility and divine sovereignty work together, right? The what happened question is, I think, the main thing that God wants us to get out of this text, right? So Adam and Eve sin, they rebel, they, they turn away, then all of a sudden there's these outlining of curses, and so i want to focus specifically on Genesis 3 verse 17. God says to Adam, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it, Cursed is the ground because of you. You know, because the cause is you. Most basically, the question of what happened in the world, what went wrong with the world, why is there cancer, why is there chaos, why is why is the ground not responding, why is marital? Div- it's you. It's us. It's humans. Human rebellion is the seed and the source that leads to all other forms of rebellion. You could think of cancer as a form of cellular level rebellion. Multiply like this. Nope, I'm going to multiply like this. It's rebelling against design. That God puts Adam and Eve in the garden to be the leaders. And so they morally rebel. They rebel against God. And ever since then, all the little fabrics of the whole world have been operating in rebellion like Adam and Eve. That the leader sets the tone. Adam and Eve are the leaders. The humans are the leaders. And so from top to bottom, the whole of creation is rebelling against God's design in small ways. You wanna know what went wrong? Human rebellion. That is the answer. Because of you. When you ask the question, what went wrong in the world? What happened to the world? We all need to be say, to some degree, it's because of me. My sin. My sin cosmic brokenness that what happens in my heart on an hourly daily basis happens in the whole world and that's because humans were meant to set the tone and they did and it was bad. Now that answers a whole bu- creates a whole bunch of other questions. Well, what about God's sovereignty? What about God being good? If God was good, why did he let this type of stuff happen? And it's important to notice that Genesis 3 does not feel any of that angst. God is sovereign, absolutely in control, and it's all our fault. Moving on. That's how Genesis 3 treats this. Now, we have as humans are going like, "Yeah, but how and why and, and if God really didn't want it to happen, why did he put the tree there in the first place? Why did why did why did Adam not say much? What if God really wanted him to do it, did they really have truly free will or was it more free choices and blah 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 and philosophy 101? And that kind of angst all gets been up in us and that tension does somewhat relieve later on you know genesis is one book one through 50 50 chapters variety of stories variety of basically demonstrations of the chaos of sin and i think it's important and significant that in the last section of genesis genesis chapter 50 joseph is dealing with the injustice of having been sold into slavery by his brothers and at the same time, how God uses that injustice to put him in charge of Egypt, basically. And God does tremendous good for it. And there's this key verse in Genesis 50:20 that where you get the idea of the doctrine of concurrence. Meaning that human responsibility and divine sovereignty go together. They concur. They're not in tension. They don't just exist as a paradox, but they're unresolved working together. Here's what uh, Genesis 50:20 says. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That dual intention that humans truly mean to do evil, and God can truly mean to let the thing happen that he uses for good. So what that means is two things. We cannot say, I'm not responsible for the sin of my life. We cannot say that. And we cannot say, therefore the world is in chaos and God is not in control over my life. We have to say, I am responsible for my sin, and God is somehow using that to write a story that's magnificent and compelling. That my life would be made much of. You can't say because I have control over my sin, therefore God is not like I've made such a mess. God can't spin this. I've made such a disaster of my life that God's God can't do anything with me. No. We're absolutely responsible, and God's absolutely writing stories that somehow with mystery, include our chaotic, disastrous choices. So God's not responsible for my sin. I am. And at the same time, God is writing a perfectly good story. That's called the doctrine of concurrence, human responsibility, divine sovereignty. Moses, book of Genesis, the most complicated philosophical question that haunts philosophy 101 people their whole life is just going like, yep. To some degree, a whole bunch of like human error is bound up in trying to over-resolve that tension. You minimize God's sovereignty or you minimize human responsibility and Moses is not having any of that when he writes Genesis. All the sin in your life is your fault. God is writing a story that somehow makes good out of that. Sit with that. Hold on to it. The curse is ground because of You, when you're gonna try to make sense of the brokenness in the world, if you don't somehow blame yourself a little bit, you're missing the mark on page two of the Bible. The other thing we see here is that sin is sneaky and stupid. Sneakiness and stupidness. Not only that, but when we do sneaky, stupid things, we become sneaky and stupid. I don't need Genesis three to teach me this. I have a four-year-old and two-year-old that teach me this. Our propensity to become sneaky is just wild to me. About stuff we don't even need to be sneaky about. Hey, do you need a new diaper? No. (laughs) Do you think I'm dumb? I have a nose, not just eyes. What's going on here? You walk in, marker on the wall. What happened here? I don't know. Bubble machine is stuffed full of sand. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. This kind of cover up sneak thing is just in there. And so maybe that's why Genesis 3, Satan takes the form of a serpent. Here comes this sneaky thing. Hey, did God really say? Undermining trust, pulling the thread. Can you really trust what God said? Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Hey, did you maybe God told you that because he doesn't want you to be like him? Maybe he's trying to withhold good things from you. Maybe, and so it's undermining of your ability to trust God, undermining your, uh, like, maybe you shouldn't trust this guy. Maybe he's holding things back from you. I think he's just going to, he's worried you're going to become like him, which is just kind of wild because, like, one chapter ago, they got told you're going to be made in God's image and likeness. And here's Satan being like, hey, do you want to be like him? Like, if they weren't really dumb they would have said already like him pass Uh, but then they kind of get strung along and here they are going oh maybe there's better things than what God gave to me and then this serpent undermines and and then what happens right away Adam and Eve start sneaking they cover they hide they go they cover themselves in leaves and then they go and hide in the garden now this is stupid this is like dumb stuff you believe you can hide from God Are you dumb? Did eating that fruit drop your IQ points a couple notches? (laughs) You just like saw God go with his mouth, creates all things. I'm going to hide. We sin, and that is stupid, all sin is inherently stupid. It's foolish. Like when you think about it in hindsight, you're like that was dumb. That didn't do what I wanted to do. It, sin overpromises and it We experience the shame of it. It makes us sneaky and stupid. We follow Satan, you become like Satan. Sneaky and stupid. Is how it works. We can go up those next couple of lines there. And it really functions in two ways. Mostly with Adam, you get the sin of passivity thing, and mostly with Eve, you get the sin of activity thing. Now, I think that kind of reveals a trend in between the genders. You talk to family systems therapists, counselors, male aloofness or male passivity is like the root of a lot of stuff. And in the face of male passivity or male uh, aloofness, women tend to overfunction. It's another word for anxiety or overact. They kind of like it, kind of balances out. Right? So God creates Adam, Genesis 2, and he says, Adam, work and keep the garden, do not touch the tree. Then God creates Eve. So somehow Adam had to tell Eve what the commandment was. And, God had, and Adam has first hand experience of that commandment, Eve has second hand experience of that commandment. And Eve somehow goes, Satan goes, did God really say this? And then Eve says, no, she, what, what God said was, don't eat the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So maybe Adam's adding to the command. It's like the maybe this, like this first thing of legalism here is Adam's going, hey, I don't really trust my wife to like not eat of the tree, so I'm gonna add a layer to the promise, add a layer to the command. Don't just don't eat it, don't touch it. You know, not just don't spend money, but I'll hold the credit card. Like, I don't trust you. Maybe Eve adds to the command, trying to be extra careful with herself. We don't know. But the point is, is Adam had responsibility as to, to hear the command and then speak the command. And there's a failure there. So Adam fails to do his job. And then probably the wildest part is Eve and Satan are going back and forth talking about all this stuff. And it says, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave son to her husband, who was with her. And he was like, what is Adam doing? Just standing there, like, kind of peeing his pants while Adam, (laughs) even Satan, are having a dialogue? Like, oh, interesting, oh, good point. (laughs) And then he just goes, okay, and he eats it. Like, this is abdication. This is not intervening when you ought to intervene. Here's what could have happened is Satan goes, did God really say? And Eve goes, well actually, and Adam goes, hold on, wait a minute. I was there, I heard what he said. And yes, he did, and no, he didn't, and no, he won't. Thank you, serpent, see you later. But instead, he just outsources the hard conversation to his wife. Passivity. When I think about like family issues in our church, there's a lot of them that are caused by males doing stuff, but there's a whole bunch that are caused by males not doing stuff. This is trends, not universals, obviously here. Uh, You can call this a sin of omission. People think about sin as doing bad stuff, sin of commission. Here, Adam's first sin is probably a sin of omission, not doing what you ought to do. We think about Jesus Christ dying for our sins and we think I did bad stuff and Jesus died for my sins. That's good. But he also had to die for all the righteous stuff you didn't do. That's sin. Adam sins passively, Eve sins more actively here. Here's what it says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate so this John and John first John two talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And that's largely a, a, a paraphrase of Genesis three: "The lust of the eyes, desiring and seeing what God has not given to you and wanting it. I see that, I want it. It's disordered desire, lust of the eyes. Eve sees it. God says, "Don't eat of that." And she's somehow like gazing. Like not just noticing that it's beautiful fruit, but she's staring at it in such a way that she wants it. Then she says, it'd be good for food. God had said, this is not good for you. Don't do it. And she goes, I think it would be good for me. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and then the desire to make one wise, the boastful pride of life. See, wisdom is largely practical in nature. Some of you are very wise, and it's because you've done a lot of stupid things. And you've accumulated a whole lot of not doing that anymore again. And ideally, you'd gain wisdom from other people's stupid decisions. That'd be the wisest way, right? That's called listening and honoring your parents as much as possible. It's called reading the book of Proverbs. It's, I would like to not repeat the mistakes that have already happened. I don't have to, but some of it, it's like this commitment to learning the hard way. And then hopefully you become wise after you've learned the hard way. The consequences teach and then you learn, I'm not going to do that. And so when Adam and Eve go, I'm going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become wise, guess what? They are. They're going to learn the hard way. The consequences are going to be a teacher. They're going to feel shame. They're going to feel for the first time angst and stress in their relationship to God. They're going to be removed from the garden. And they're going to, in that sense, become wise because they're going to learn the hard way about the consequences of sin. Wouldn't it be great if you could not learn the hard way? I know that a lot of us have really learned the hard way about a lot of things. And guess what? You don't have to keep doing that. You can learn from other people's fools. Decisions. You can learn from Adam and Eve and go, God's not withholding good from me. I can trust him. That's the essence of this. When we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, we'll have to give an account, both for the things we've done, we shouldn't have done, and for things we've not done, that we should have done. And so we really need to be mindful of not just not doing bad things but also of not not doing good things. Adam and Eve show us this trend and so there's something to this trend that I think spreads out uh, into like gender typical things. I'm not saying that women can't be passive and men can't be active. They absolutely can be and they are all the time but there's a trend here that I think Moses is tapping into. But there's another trend here that's significant is uh, on this way in which really good things become tremendously difficult. We, we kind of get caught into a lot of our, our culture so comfortable that we think if something's hard, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Or maybe I'm doing it wrong. Parenting is hard, therefore maybe I'm doing it wrong, so I need techniques and tips. Maybe it's just hard. right? That's the nature. of it. Work is hard, therefore maybe... I should be doing something. Maybe it's just the nature of things. It's hard. But God applies the consequences of sin, the curse of sin, to the serpent. He says, on the ground you'll go the rest of your life. Uh, you'll get your head bruised, but you'll bruise the heel of this woman. Um, but then it's, uh, to the woman, verse 16, it says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. I didn't get any amens on there. Amen. You know, there's like, yes, he did. That, that's true. He did not lie on that one. He multiplied pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. So that's not just childbirth, but that's bringing forth children. I think this applies to the pain of conception, the pain of carrying a pregnancy, of, in, of infertility, miscarriage, uh, childbirth, but then also the pain of raising up children. Like it's literally more obviously taxing on, on the female body to do that, that whole process. But then it goes on to say, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So you have this, the pain of the curse that they're carrying, there's a bit of a gap here in that on the marriage and family side of things, women experience more pain. Strife in the home is generally speaking more painful to women because men are more powerful than women. Infertility, childbirth, more painful to women because obvious physical reasons. Then you get Adam, so like woman gets this curse of the fruitful and multiply side of things, it's just gonna be a lot, you're gonna feel the pain more acutely. But then on the other side of things, the subdued dominion things, the work and provision side, to Adam he says because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree which I commanded you shall not eat curses the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread that bringing forth yield from the ground the work of farm like why is this tree not producing the fruit like the the man will have more pain and more sweat on that side of things in general so their shared task, fruitful, multiply, subdued and have dominion, now has, there's a gap in the pain structure here and that creates tension too. One of the hard things in our lives is when the people who are closest to us have different pain levels on different things and you're trying to like mediate between them. I've sat with a lot of couples who after going through miscarriage, it's like the husband really cares and it really hurts, but she's reminded of it every 45 minutes for weeks whereas he's here and then he's here like the compartmentalization thing or likewise talk with couples who are like feeling financial pinch or uh, malaise in employment underemployment and very often the husband feels it like this and the wife feels it like this she really cares but she cares about it this and so that, that gap in the pain is difficult and so it's when it comes to like the home it's going to be pretty typical, not maybe common is better word than typical, that husbands need to work hard to understand the difficulty of the bringing forth children peace at the level that their wife really gets. And it's on the other side, when there's strain and tension at work and the wife is going, just like leave it at work or also oh, you don't like your job. Our family, like the, the gap in the pain is going to be there. And that's isolating. And that's part of the curse as well. Having to mediate that. Having to work through that. Grieving differently. The pain of life. So how many of you have this thing happen? It's tough. There's gaps. Thorns and thistles. Raising children. Bringing forth children. It's tough. Now the other thing that's in this text that's significant to us is that we are bad at covering our sin. We're terrible at it actually. It's human instinct to try to make up for what you've done, right? Like, uh, this is just normal in my house. That If you see me cleaning, it's because an hour ago, I was doing something that made my wife mad. (laughs) She didn't ask me to clean, but I'm just like, I said something rude, and then I'm like, I'm sorry. And then I'm like. She's like, do you still feel bad about that? I'm like, no, why? It's just instinct. I got to make it better. And so Adam and Eve sin and what do they do? It says verse seven, the eyes are both open and they knew that they were naked, right? This is like a picture of innocence lost, right? I have a four-year-old and two-year-old and they don't totally understand naked, right? So we're teaching my son to swim last year when he was like three and it was kind of like this season where we're like I don't have to do like laundry so we just had him swim in, and they're naked, working on doing it, you know? And then, then, it, then it's like, all right, now he's like four. It's like, all right, Jay, time to put clothes on. He's like, Are we having guests over? (laughs) Like, no, but you're like four. And so just kind of like the all the time thing. Just like put some clothes on. He's like, yeah, but why? I'm like, because, you know, like we just, clothes are good, you know. And he's like, no, they're not. They're not good. There's, it's like Adam and Eve, like adults who didn't like yet get the innocence. I didn't need, like, why would I need to put, and oh, and so they go to cover it up and they sew fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And this is what's been blowing my mind about this text recently is that they try to cover up, they try to hide their shame, this feeling of overexposure. Like that's what shame is. It's embarrassment. It's peop- people have seen or possibly seen a part of me that I was trying to hide and now they saw it and now I'm embarrassed. So kind of like, whoop. they Try to get that. so try to cover it up and then what happens is they cover up and the Lord God calls them and says hey where are y'all and verse 10 says I heard the sound of you walking in the garden this is Adam and I was afraid because I was naked now go hold on Uh, they weren't naked they had their vegan Tarzan outfit on They might be underclothed, but underdressed, but they're not naked. But so they, in their attempt to cover their own shame, they still have this sense of it's not doing the trick. They still feel naked. They still feel like it's not good enough. They still feel like, but I'm exposed, so I'm going to hide. And they go, the stuff we made to cover our sin on our own, it's not working. And so the Lord comes, sees them, says, yep. Yep. They blame. The second way they try to hide themselves is they start to blame shift. Adam, what happened? He says, that woman that you gave me. He's blaming the woman and God. You gave me that. One chapter ago, Adam's going, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Finally, one that's for me. Oh, yeah, that woman, yeah. Return to sender. (laughs) We hide and then we blame. These are the natural, fleshly attempts of humans to minimize the responsibility. We rationalize, we justify, we blame. I imagine there are people going to hell that when they stand before God in the last day, they will say some version of that woman. Not my fault. Responsibility avoiders. Eve does something similar. God says, Adam, and Adam says, that woman you gave me blames God, blames the woman, and Eve says, that serpent. She blames her circumstances. She blames her context. She blames sociology. Well, the environment that I was in didn't support my flourishing. You put that serpent here. Blame shifters. Self-covers. What does God do? He hears them say this. here's the consequence of your sin in the good news in this text verse 21 and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them he upgrades their leaves into leather he kills something and covers them he doesn't just rub their nose in it I would have forgiven you but you blame shifted. So, swing and a miss. Three strikes, you're out, Adam. Too late. He still makes provision for their sin. He still covers their shame. He doesn't send them out of the garden naked, saying, I want everyone to know what you did here. No. They experience the shame. He covers it. Their sin leads to death of an animal the consequence is the teacher that God covers it and he carries them and he pushes them over he pushes them out of the Garden of Eden he sends them out clothed and covered but the consequences are still there this is how our sin works now very often we still have to reap the consequences of our sin but God is here clothing and covering and saving in the midst of us having to deal with our consequences Now they're barred from this tree of life. But the divine author's planting the seed of the greater tree in life. The tree that hung Christ on it. The means of life, the means of blessing. That God just doesn't just give us leather, but he gives us the Lord's Supper. It says, trust in me. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your provision in the midst of our sin and passivity. God, let us have the guts to not be blame shifters. And let us have the trust to cling to you as our sin is exposed. God, we are just like Adam and just like Eve. And we ask for the same grace you've given to them. In your name we pray, amen.